This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Surely. Like you just pulled a beer out of Matt Doherty's crotch. <laughs> it was really weird. <laughs> the listeners, Nick has a picture of Matt D as his background, so he's just pulled I need to a change beer that. out. I need to change that. Very cool. <laughs> you change it to the Matt D awkward face now. Yeah, should we go? Ready? Hello, so the first game week is over and we're recording at the climax of a Chelsea game which rounded off quite a tumultuous opening weekend of the 2021 season. And we're here to begin our weekly podcast proper from here on in. Each week for those new listeners, they normally go down like this. There's a game week review, Nick leads the market forces, then we'll analyse kind of one key topic in detail, followed by the mini-league update, correspondence in the Q&A. And the correspondence in the Q&A are where we speak about all the other things which are going on in FPL you know, and address all the hot topics because the analysis bit is one kind of key topic that we've really done some research on, something that's been going on in the FPL zeitgeist, be it through social media handbags or maybe market forces. And we always try to provide kind of a database analysis to our opinions on that one topic. But in the Q&As and things like that as well, we'll give voice to the other things which are happening. Um, we always try to keep it you know, rounded off too. So when we do a key topic, we don't just give one side the argument, we give both sides and allow you to make your own decisions for returning listeners welcome you knew all that standard service resumes from here and i'm joined of course by my two co-hosts nick you're right hey tom yeah i'm good thank you yeah it was a certainly busy and exciting start to the season we've got plenty of talking points for the pod which is fantastic just a reminder of who we are we are who got the assist you can find us generally on twitter at wgta underscore fpl or at wgta underscore nick or at fpl stag or also on instagram if you are on instagram make sure to give us a follow there as well wgta.fpl and new listeners as well appreciate it if you don't forget to hit the subscribe if you like what you hear and give us a rating as well if you, if you really like the pod um, if you haven't joined our mini league the code is cpsulf so anthony how are you Evening lads, good to be back and great to have a week of Fantasy Penalty League to look back on again. Um, I learned a word over the weekend, bifurcating. Now I'd never heard it before, Tom's nodding as if he knows it. No, maybe he doesn't. That pretty much, I think, gets to the nutshell of what this game week was. Uh, To bifurcate is, it's to divide into two parts. Yeah. Uh, And that's pretty much what happened with FPL scores in the opening weekend of the season. In particular, thanks to Mohamed Salah's hat-trick with the help of two penalties, which brought him 40 points for those that were lucky enough to captain him. That was about 20% of managers. So the main part of our agenda, following on for that, will be considering penalties. A source of poxy points occasionally, or are they something that we have to really consider with all of our transfers and our picks? And then we'll also have our correspondence section, the mini league update, and QA. First of all, though, the game week review. Yep, and uh, as I finish bottom of the pile, I don't feel as bad about it now as I would have if tonight's game hadn't have shaped out how it was. But as I finish bottom of the pile uh, for us in the game week one, I'll start. Uh, 71 is how I ended up with. Um, it was 55 going into tonight. Um, I had two men, Kai Havertz, who I was very excited about, and Rhys James, who I uh, had in, but I was a bit annoyed because I put Romain Sice in and I, he was one of the last ones that I removed for, for Rhys James. Kai Havertz was very peripheral. First 10 minutes, I think he untouchable once and yeah, absolutely diabolical numbers. Rhys James saved my game week, basically. 14 points out of nowhere. Random screamer, literally about 30 seconds after losing the clean sheet to another bit of Kepa incompetence. Um, and an assist from a corner for a deflected Zuma goal gave him 14 points. Yeah, really, really good. Um, so up 71. Um, I think it's about 750k or something. It doesn't really matter, does it? Uh, game week one. Elsewhere, my other real performance were uh, James Justin, uh, Mo Salah. Um, I didn't captain. I captured Aubameyang. I've got no regrets about that. I mean, those guys really put a gloss on what was otherwise quite, a, quite an annoying game week in a lot of ways. So Richarlison, one of my big differential picks, had so many shots, one particular howler as well, and just oh, just, just didn't score. Um, whereas DCL got his one shot and scored it. So yeah, a bit annoying, but um, you know, he did did what I wanted him to do, which was take lots of shots. I was just hoping he'd convert. Um, Shea Adams didn't score the one kind of clear opportunity he did have. And Trent basically was asleep at the wheel. A few people have said, oh, are you not annoyed about Salah? Not really. I mean... 
I always was going to catch on Bamiang against Fulham. It was always going to happen. And as we'll talk about later on, there was kind of the penalty sort of thing going on, but equally with Bamiang's on penalties. So I'm not really too bothered about it. And, you know, 69% of the game didn't own Salah um, at the start of the game week. So, yeah, pretty good to have those 20 points as a differential, uh, which I will take every day. So, yeah, 71 points, decent start, but I'm looking now to sell Kai. And we'll talk about that at the end of the pod. Who's next? I think it's uh, is it Nick. It is me. So, yeah, I guess since we started WGTA, it feels like every single game we won has just been a complete shocker, hasn't it? And we're always, like, starting the first pod feeling a bit negative about how the first game week um, went preaching, you know, positive and positivity and keep your head up sort of statements. But, yeah, this this year round, I'm pretty happy with uh, 77 points. So that, um, that seemed like a really decent score. It, like my ORs dropped a little bit today because I only had Werner playing today. But yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with that score. Um, captain's or Bamiyang. So I didn't even captain Salah, I think. So 77 points and not captaining Salah feels really good. So Aubameyang got me 14. Salah got the 20 for the hat-trick. Uh, I also had Van Dijk in the end in my team who got me a goal. So seven points from him. I made the last-minute swap from Doherty to Van Dijk, which uh, seemed to pay off. And also Werner got an assist tonight for the penalty, but also had Jamie Vardy, who got me another two goals, both from penalties, which is going to be something we're going to be talking about in depth today. So, yeah, I'm pretty pleased with that, though. feels a bit, you know, awkward uh, having having scored four of the five goals I got for my players were from penalties. And I also got an assist from another penalty in the Chelsea game. So, a uh, bit of a strange game week, but, you know, I'm happy with that score. But, uh, yeah, one man did beat me, though, didn't he? I did. It's it's weird. I think I finished last season with a few game week topping ranks between the three of us on the trot, having had a horror season. At least I've started out the right way. Um, I'm at about just under 400k, which I think means I'm at already at a higher rank than I was ever at at all last season, which says enough. Um, a decent enough week anyway, 79 points. Really, the main reason is because of the Salah captaincy going through my team. I'm, I'm largely happy with my picks. Um, Ramsdale keeper okay this hasn't quite worked out I ended up with no sub keeper as it transpires when um, update people from last week's pod my defense I had Trent disappointing James Justin really came out there with a nine point uh, Matt Doherty happy enough to be honest with what I saw from his positioning and getting into the box and things but of course two points is disappointing and with Serge Aurier still there I'm, I do fear rotation I had Harrison Reed and Suchek in my midfield but Suchek in particular was quite dangerous so he looks quite quite a bargain at 5.0 but he's no penalty taker Jorginho either uh, Aubameyang is there grand Callum Wilson happy that that little punt paid off Timo Werner is in there he was at least a little bit involved, although Chelsea from open play, pretty disappointing. And Danny Inks, who, a bit like Jay Adams, he, he had his chance, didn't take it. I probably only was going to have him for one week anyway. I couldn't afford uh, Jamie Vardy with the kind of team composition I'd put together, so he had that striker slot for one week. Oh well, say la vie, didn't quite get his goal, but I'm pretty happy to get 79 points and actually start off on a positive note like you guys. Yeah, 70s. I think we're happy with that. If you didn't do anywhere near that, then don't worry about it. It's still game week one. There's plenty of time to go. Like, don't panic, basically, is what you'll hear everywhere and something that we'd only echo. Uh, let's move on then, uh, after hearing our OK starts of the season, to the market forces. It returned as the transfer market opened, and I had great fun on Saturday uh, writing out what's been going on. I think Nick started it by noticing that seven managers sold Pepe before the lineups even got announced. So, I mean, it just, it just kind of dis- disintegrated from that to just ridiculous stuff like, uh, you know, Salah had been sold by 10,000 managers, and then 1,000 managers went and sold him during the game when he's got the hat trick. It just, it's got the first week is absolutely mental how is it looking now though nick as the man across the numbers who are the movers and shakers we always get quite excited as, as tom said from the first market forces of the season just because it, it's always a little bit odd in terms of who's being bought there's always a, a couple of bandwagons in there to just look a bit shady a, a bit unusual and uh, we're kind of a bit like oh you know like we've seen Shaka and Higazi from a couple of seasons I think it was the first season we did the pod actually I remember them being huge game week one bandwagons but but this season actually it's it's a guy we used to joke about a little bit Tom it's a guy we used to have a running joke in our first season of the pod um 
and that's uh, that's Patrick Bamford. So we used to have a little bit of a joke um, where we talk about some of the championship players and how they get on with the Premier League, whether they'd do well or whether they'd do a do a paddy. And this, this was kind of like you know these these characters like Dwight Gale and Cameron Jerome, for instance, even Steve Mounier. You know these players sort of like that would come from the championship, do well, but like then. Uh, basically uh, do absolutely rubbish in the Premier League and struggle. And, and Bamford was one that we, we remembered fondly from, um, I think he got a 20-goal um, season in the Championship and then in, for Middlesbrough and then he sort of only had one goal in sort of 326 minutes of game time, just struggled in the Premier League a little bit. But he's um, he's managed to match that score this season, hasn't he, um, already. So he's got his second goal, second goal in his uh, Premier League career. Um, against uh, against Liverpool of all teams and um, Leeds have Fulham up next as well so at 5.5 million he currently is the most transferred player right now uh, and it's, it's, it's gone rapidly up actually so I looked at the numbers about two hours ago and he was at 99,000 now he's gone right up to 150,000 transfers in so a few people obviously clearly waiting until his game finished but 150,000 transfers in for Banford I don't, I don't know what you guys make of that are you surprised to see him so high up on the market forces, or is it just because playing Fulham, whipping boys, and and very cheap? Oh well, I actually took down the numbers about an hour before the Chelsea came. He was at one hundred and thirty-four k, so I just can't believe that sixteen thousand people have acted that quickly to get him in. Like, I think in many ways, what the Bamford move shows is, and I think when we talk about the transfers out, it basically shows that a lot of people are trying to invest money into midfield, and it'll make an awful lot more sense when we see it that way, as opposed to anyone kind of getting too excited about a you know a, a good finish, but still a poxy finish against Liverpool from Bamford. Yeah, it's also selling Mitrovic as well, which is probably just key. Because a lot of people have kind of gone, oh, look, Mitrovic, he hasn't played. Oh, this Bamford fella, he's he's around the same sort of price. He's done a goal. I'll get him in. Basically, that's well, probably all it is. Probably. I mean, we're looking at the forwards. Um, Ings is the fourth most transferred out player right now with 100,000 transfers out. He blanked. Obviously, people getting rid quite quickly based on the blank. And, and say with Mitrovic, didn't start, but, you know, he, he was supposed to be carrying a little bit of an injury. Um, as a Mitrovic owner, actually, I'm, I'm probably going to keep him, I think, and take a risk because the reason I had him in the team anyway was more for the game week two to nine um, fixtures. And when he's fit, he will play. But otherwise, we've got on the mid, um, we've got on the transfer scene, we've got William and De Bruyne, um, both being transferred in. William got a hat-trick of assists, 150,000 transfers in for him as well. Uh, so looking like a very popular pick at 8 million, uh, started very strongly for his Arsenal career. And De Bruyne, he seems to be the, the player du jour in terms of the City and the United um, players that are being brought in. So 145,000 managers have brought in De Bruyne, 133,000 managers have brought in uh, Bruno Fernandes as well, who's, who's the fifth most transferred in player right now. He's knocked um, Salah out of the uh, the top five now. So I guess people starting to look at the United and the City assets and, and bringing those guys in. I don't think that's much of a surprise. Yeah, you've got Bruno there, as you mentioned, and also Martial is the third most transferred in forward. So there's definitely people are kind of starting to look towards those United assets as they come into play. In terms of transfers out among midfielders, San leading the way. People getting fed up with Sadio Mane, probably moving across to his Liverpool teammate Mo Salah, about the same amount of transfers out as transfers in between those. And Aubameyang as well. Among the mid-price midfielders, it's Saka and Alan San Maxima that have um, lost people's patience somehow, even though they're 5.5 and you can't possibly expect them to return every week. Yep. And finally, to cover the defenders, so the fourth most transferred in player right now is Gabriel um, of Arsenal. 139,000 transfers in because he got a goal, didn't he? So... Uh... Obviously, everyone's jumping on, on that wagon ahead of the West Ham game at home, but not sure about that for a sort of a the long-term second, pick. second goal of his whole price. career, I think it was. Yeah. Right? Third right. goal yeah, of his that's, career or something. That's, that's a Higazzi special. I remember when we analysed Higazzi in the preseason, said he'd never scored in his entire career. And, of course, he went and scored in game week one, didn't he? And everyone jumped straight <laughs> on that one. But um, interestingly enough, it's, it's the second most transferred out player right now is Trent. And he's had 113,000 transfers out. Another victim, I guess, of cutthroat transfers. Um, and normally on this one, I suppose I would be like, well, what are you guys doing? He's a season keeper. But I'm, I'm not going to say that right now. And, and there'll be reasons for that that may become apparent later in the pod. 
Oh, spoilers. Right. Okay. Uh, let's move on then to the main topic this week, which is penalties. As Stag uh, put it on Twitter and subsequently got accused of tweet stealing, uh, fantasy penalty leagues. Uh, it was complete week. fake news, by the way. The guy had tweeted it, but I'd never heard of him. He had like 400 <laughs> followers. And I was oh, like, who? Always Hello? Happens. <laughs> always <laughs> I was happens. like, it was an obvious joke. I know. Well, it, it, well. anyway, penalties arose this week as a hot topic issue in the community and, of course, a controversial subject. Uh, there are lots of arguments as Salah returned a hat-trick from a non-pen XG of 0.38 and Vardy a brace from 0.00. And Nick Harris had both of them in his team, so there you go. Um, I'm not going to take my top off and uh, record an angry video about that. Anyway, uh, the arguments were, in some cases, hilarious histronics <laughs> that raged back and forth on social media and, indeed, many a WhatsApp group. So this week, as it's just the first week and we're quite low on data, we're instead going to focus on the key issue that the events the opener has passed us rather than deep diving in something around FPL. Well, I guess it kind of is related to FPL because obviously this week was all about penalties. Um, but anyway, uh, historically on pens then, uh, a big thanks to FPL Chef for pointing me in the direction of the data I'm using here. What percentage do you guys think have been scored of, of all the penalties then? I actually have the stat in my preparation, so I'll leave it to Nick. <sighs> It's, it's probably 85%, I'd say. You're very close, yeah. It's 83%, so you've got only got 17% chance of, of missing. So, yeah, 2 2 one, four penalties awarded, one eight four one scored. Clubs award most penalties in the Premier League history. Man United, 109. Shock horror. Second, Man City, 108. And uh, Liverpool, a third, 104. Chelsea are also in the, in the 100 club. They've got 101 after tonight. Season most penalties is Arsenal of 85. Not really a surprise there, given the centre backs we've had over the recent period. Aston Villa of 83, and West Ham with 79. The last three seasons, there have been 91 penalties per season on average. Last 10 years, it's been kind of 92.4. So, yeah, you're expecting around kind of 91 penalties per year. And over the last three seasons, it's been United 14, United with 12, and Palace 10 with most penalties over the last three seasons. Um, the teams conceded, uh, you know, it's Leicester, Brighton, and loads of teams joined six in 2017-18 but the real consistency as I mentioned is Arsenal we've consistently been huge penalty conceders um, we've conceded the most of any team over the last few years as I've mentioned and consistently we've come top five pens conceded thanks to terrible defenders like Mustafi Anyway, the 14 pens won last season by United were the highest number of penalties awarded ever, and 15% of all penalties last season were awarded to United. The most penalties ever awarded in the season were 106 in 2009-10 and 2016-17, and the most penalties ever scored were in 2009-10. Anyway, fun bit of research, but the key takeaways are that United are on for the hat-trick, to the surprise of no one in terms of penalties awarded. Uh, but City last year were only three behind them, and only one behind them in total stake. So yeah, Penchester United to some extent, but... Not entirely. Uh, but as we've seen over this weekend, it wasn't a handball. A bit of a cock-up um, has meant that penalties have been thrust into the zeitgeist once more. And is it those kind of new FIFA rules, I guess, which are causing an impact, you think, Anthony? We're definitely drawing on the useful uh, research of both We Rogue and his podcast, and also Dale Johnson, who reports for ESPN. You'll find him at Dale Johnson. Now, Dale, firstly, he did a very useful thread on the new interpretation of what is a penalty for a defensive handball in the Premier League. And basically what it boils down to is if a player's arm is outstretched in a way that makes their body bigger to block a shot, you're going to get a penalty now. So, for example, Liverpool's penalty um, where Cock handballed it when a ball was you know, fired at him, his hand was dangling to the side. He was, it was clearly too close to him for him to be able to react and get his hand behind him. But at the same time, that is now a penalty. Last season, that wouldn't have been a penalty because the Premier League's rule was very much uh, in favour of the defender. And also, Dale Johnson has pointed out that the use of VAR screens pitch side, that uh, was something which was in the Bundesliga last season and brought an extra eight handball penalty decisions in. Um, so, you know, overturning the initial on-pitch decision, you know, referee goes to the screen eight more penalties for handballs that was on top then of pitch decisions for handballs in the box so if you extrapolate that for the premier league you're expecting about 10 more handball penalties for defensive handballs in the premier league this season just thanks to var uh, we rogue also point out on twitter that betting companies who are some of the best at using stats to predict the, the world around us and they expect uh, the number of penalties scored in the Premier League to rise to about 88 goals. That was only Now, think about this. There was only 72 goals scored from penalties last season. So that's, they're expecting a 22% increase in goals scored from penalties. 
So broadly, what that means, if you take the historic Premier League scoring rate of 83%, or what XG tells you is the Premier League scoring rate, which is 76%, basically the betting companies are expecting between 106 and 115 penalties to be awarded in the Premier League this year. And as Tom noted, given that 106 is the most we've ever seen before, the betting companies are nailing on that we're definitely going to see the most penalties that we've ever seen in a Premier League season this year. Good. I'm very glad that we're getting this out of the way now so we don't spend the rest of the season talking about penalties on the podcast. Um, but yep, as I mentioned before, Vardy two pens, Salah two pens has really kicked the hornet's nest this week. There's kind of one side luck and people citing their non-pen XGs uh, versus another perhaps saying you know, there's skill in picking pen takers and you know, there's really benefits uh, to having these players. Uh, so you, know, you can't be keep pointing to non-pen XG. Uh, what do you think of this argument? How do we assess this? I suspect we're all going to be on the same side, so we might have to build in some balance somehow. But uh, initial thoughts then, guys, what do you think? Uh, just to say as well, actually, before we get into it, it's touchy times at the start of the season, I know. Just please don't be offended by the below. We're given our viewpoints, but we try to give a reasoned, balanced discussion. No one should feel personally offended apart from Adam Pritchard. Nobody no, please, please be very offended by me. Please, please. Oh. <laughs> right, let's continue. What do you guys think about this? As the beneficiary of four goals from penalties as well as two assists, I guess I can't help but feel a little bit bashful. But I feel like some of the, the criticism and vitriol that we've seen on the internet has, has been a little bit unwarranted um, and you know people complaining about the fact that their you know opponents players got penalties I just you know like can't everyone should calm down a little bit and just expect you know accept that it's part of the game penalties are a huge element of FPL not a huge element but you know they're an important thing to think about and you know Vardy and Salah actually both won two of their own penalties anyway so that could have been a goal-scoring opportunity at that particular moment that was um, hindered by the uh, the poor defending that was going on against those promoted clubs they were playing. And, and both were playing promoted clubs. And, uh, you know, I had Bardi and Salah, and the reasons those guys were in my team is because they were playing promoted clubs. They were both in... They were both literally... We are talking about three golden boots in three seasons between the two of them. You know, these guys are... They're in my team for a reason. They score plenty of goals. And I know that, you know, they've also had the stats. We've seen some of the stats about Jamie Vardy. So in defence of Vardy, a lot of people said he's had a bad game, was ridiculously lucky to have got his returns in the game. But I'm sure, you know, obviously FPL, there's always a little bit of luck involved. We know about that. But, you know, he did have a shot on target that was ruled out for outside. So that gets excluded from the stats. He's also been a player that's always defied stats. He was, he was in my team for a reason, even though he's not necessarily the most statistically friendly player in the game, isn't he? But I don't think he played badly. A lot of people said he played so badly. How the hell did he get points? What was that all about? But he was making, he was always making runs and looking at threat, looking at danger. And his role in the team, sorry to kind of, take it on a bit of a tangent here but his role in the game in the team isn't to to win the ball or try and take on an opponent drop deep and get involved no one cares about any of that you know that's it's relevant to fpl his his role is to stay central create space for the opening and wait for the winning ball to get on the end of which he very often does and scores yeah enough to win the golden boot last season often due, due to his open play uh, contribution even though he barely touches the ball like for me with the penalties and seeing the debate that broke out over the weekend, I, I was just screaming in my head, we've had this before. Tom's noted United's ability to draw penalties. Yep, 14 last season. Even in Bruno's time in the Premier League, of his eight goals, four of them came from penalties. He wouldn't have been the player that we're talking about now if it wasn't for penalties. Milovojevic a few seasons ago, he scored seven goals from penalties one season. The year after that, it was 10 goals from penalties to the point that last season he was priced at 7 million at the start of the year. Like, we know that penalties are a pretty big factor and can be a huge contributor in FPL. And I do see where the other side is coming from in that, okay, usually we talk about form, fixtures, underlying data, and then the skill is picking someone based on those, planning your transfers to hop on and hop off players as they come. Okay, fine. But at the same time, erratic moments do happen in football. Like, defenders have howlers, goalkeepers have howlers. Think about the Aubameyang brace against Norwich last season. And those, of course, fly in the face of what is predictable. Penalties are the same. And the fact of the matter is, is that there is a skill to drawing penalties. There's a reason why Manchester United continue to get the most penalties. And some people will say it's a cooked-up conspiracy. I'll say it's because they have quick and agile players that are able to draw penalties. It's just part of the game. There's a reason why Milovahevich was getting so many penalties, basically because of Wilfred Zaha. 
it happens. And so when it comes to picking penalty takers, it kind of reminds me of that quote that's always accredited to Gary Player. The more I practice, the luckier I get. And for FPL, it's the more pen takers I have on my side, the better positioned I am to benefit and get lucky from penalties. Mm. No, I, I think I'm broadly in agreement with both of you, which is why we need to take the other side of the argument in a minute. Uh, but basically, I think MPXG was being used a little bit to artificially elevate an otherwise simple argument. Penalties are still goals. Shocker. Expected goals do not score you FPL points. Goals do. Um, I love a non-penalty XG as a stat, I should say. It's my top stat looked at by far in terms of judging player threat, and it helps identify who's getting both quality and quantity of chances. If you don't like that, you listen to the wrong pod, frankly. Um, but as Desperately Seeker do and put it on Twitter, there's a great sense of kind of double think at times. We list pen takers, we, we know who they are, we count people to having penalties to take in the plus column for a player. Um, but if, if it's a player we don't own, we, we're very quickly to say, oh, it's just penalty and discount the impact, even though it's still a goal, you know. You don't win the lottery through nearly matching all the numbers. You don't win a hand on poker through nearly getting a full house on the river. You and expected goals don't score FPL points, I'm afraid. Like, I've got huge sympathy for those who are upset that it didn't work out. And uh, it was a bold strategy to go without Salah, for example. Um, it was just one game week, as I've noted. And, I said, and as I said on the tweet over the weekend, over, almost seven, ten managers didn't own Salah. So if you didn't, you're in the majority. And many who own Salah didn't catch them as well. Um, but you know, equally, as we said on the pricing pod, literally... Well, he's 12 million and Mane's 12 million. And Mane's really screwed over there because Salah having the penalties is a huge plus in his column. Um, and you, know, you knew the risks going without him in the same way that I knew the risks of going without Werner. If Werner had gone big tonight, then I'd be saying, yep, I knew what I was doing. Um, so, yeah. And, and not to layer on the, the pepper and the salt on people who've picked Mane instead of Salah, but the fact of the matter is as well, as we pointed out, the fact that Salah was you know bang on his xg and was as we all saw it quite unfortunate Mane was overperforming on his xg was only just about ahead of Salah last season one goal more and yet we all felt he'd had the season of his life to achieve that there was a reason why we were really kind of surprised by them both being priced at the same price and whilst I do sympathize with those that picked Mane because of course he's a great player and he will have as many days in the season where he outscores Salah or just under it at the same time it like you can't exclude penalties when it suits you. No, definitely not. I mean, Nick, I mean, Anthony has said, and I've said, you know, we can see where the other side's coming from. And we do look, use the underlying data. We do look at non-pen XG a lot of the time to try to filter out the quote-unquote noise that penalties could be. Uh, like, what do you think about this? Do you, do you think that the other side does have a point? Or the other side, I'm saying, but people who are kind of saying, oh, it's all luck, do you think they've got a point here? Or like, would you say it's kind of somewhere in the middle? I think we all know that luck has a, has a massive role in, in FPL. It, you know, it is, a skilled, it is a skilled game. We've seen that, that from, the, from the sort of the, the people who have been at the top of the game so many seasons in a row, like to sort of play FPL and to get top 10k results you know every season you do require a lot of skill but there's always a there is a luck element to the game as well and and we see that as well actually from from the missed penalties and elements like that you know these sort of things that you I can't remember how many you'll you'll have have to remind me how many penalties your players missed in in a row I mean 10 in a a row in the first season we did WGTA yeah that's mental I mean I remember last season as well in game week 37 I had both Ings and Sterling missed penalties in in the the same game week so people might say I've been lucky this game week to have four penalties but I've been unlucky in the past and and it's just you know it's just part of the game it is it is a factor we all know luck is a factor and it's very very frustrating when when you uh, feel like you've been hard done by by you know by luck ultimately and you know the penalty element but you know I think penalties still is a key role in the game and it is something it's something that we we do think about a lot I mean it's nice when you talk about penalties being important we do consider it quite important but then I guess we, we didn't really think too we didn't think about Jorginho much because I guess we need to talk about him briefly at five five million we were all on the Suchek wagon we were fully on the Suchek wagon we never thought oh Jorginho five million penalty taker in we um, keep his place, Chelsea Nick. should, should we, uh, <laughs> should we be bringing this guy in you know so uh, I think that's uh, something perhaps that's worthy of consideration as well 
I think that's because of Kovacic um, being suspended. So that's why Jorginho was playing, or at least the perception. Um, but no, I know what you mean, and I, I don't really, I can't say that it's all about luck. That's for sure. I mean, as I've mentioned, uh, uh, I mean, I can appreciate why, as I mentioned earlier, you might, you may be kind of taking comfort in the fact that a lot of luck didn't go your way if you kind of didn't have Salah, didn't have Vardy. Well, most people didn't have Vardy, but didn't have Salah as well. And I completely understand why you'd be kind of thinking, well, without penalties, things would have been so different and kind of grasping for that sort of uh, uh, note of reassurance. I mean, this week I'm doing that to some extent too, don't forget. I mean, Aubameyang scored one, had another kid off the line and was looking okay captain until Salah blew out of the water. Um, and because penalties is a reason why I, I'd not be too hard on myself about that as well. But don't forget, Aubameyang was also on penalty, is also a penalty for Arsenal. So it could have gone the other way completely. And I could be sitting here having, you know, the uh, espousing all of the things about it being complete skill, having a pen taker. The fact is, I think that pens is a very important attribute for a lot of players, especially when we're making our FPL, um, our FPL picks. I mean, do you guys think that picking pen players is a valid tactic as part of, uh, as part of FPL? Well, I think where it's particularly useful is picking between two players in the same side. You know, often the talisman is the main goal scorer, so it's not a problem. But when you've got, for example, again, it's the, the Salamane debate. It's the, the Baines or Coleman debate during the David Moyes era at Everton. Of course, you went for the penalty taker in there, even when he was 0.5 or even a million more, because of the fact of the matter was his ceiling was so much higher. So you just can't ignore it and anyone who kind of tries to ignore it or says it's not a factor i feel they're kind of ignoring fact to suit themselves yeah i'd I'd agree with you and i think bruno perhaps is is another excellent example of where picking penalty takers is a valid tactic so when i was looking at the manchester united players that i wanted to own for this season my favorite out of bruno rashford and martial was bruno not necessarily because he's he's the most attacking of all the three, but he has that penalty element. And that was so critical last season. We saw it was a game week 30, 33, 34 and 38. He scores penalties. And, you know, I know that was perhaps an unsustainable ratio that we're not going to see over the course of the season. But still, it, it's a big, big factor in terms of me thinking about my favourite, you know, my optimal yeah. Manchester United pick. And I think, you know, as as you said earlier, it's just those those players, the likes of Zaha and Rashford and Mo Salah, that you know they have so many penalty box touches these days. And you can we look at the penalty box touch stats quite a lot that they can win these penalties because you've got these lumpy defenders, you know, that just have to just like hack them down, down. ultimately. <laughs> and uh, you know, the same with them, Eden Hazard when he was at Chelsea as well. Another one that's fantastic for winning penalties and taking penalties as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, our mate Simon, uh, analytic FPL, I think put it best. Um, he said uh, penalties boost the output, so we should adjust our models. We don't have models, but you know what I mean to take account for that. But also realize it's a very noisy metrics, so we should use the expectation of them rather than small sample actuals, which basically translates into English means see it as a bonus. Uh, which I totally agree with, frankly. Uh, Nick's example of taking Vardy on is a very, very good one. You can't. I mean, it, it was naught point naught. MPXG, yes, um, but over the course of the last three seasons, Leicester have had seven, seven, six penalties over the last three years. Yeah, we're not building a zombie team, but it's worth mentioning that penalties is a huge bonus if you think a player like him is good for open play goals in the teens as well. I might draw a line though on buying a player because of penalties alone. So you've got your Vardy, you've got your Bruno, and stuff like that. Um, but perhaps less, less often would I be thinking of. You know, maybe the epitome of um, somebody who could have been picked for penalties alone is Milivojevic at Crystal Palace. As Stag alluded to earlier, and they had 21 penalties between 2017 and 2018. But last year, they only had three, which saw him fall off a cliff as an FPL asset, coinciding with Zaha's drop-off. Milivojevic is actually the sit for all-time penalty goals scored in the Premier League history, uh, 21. He scored 27 goals in total in his uh, Premier League career. Uh, 77% of them have been penalties. In fact, if you throw in the three free kicks he scored as well, 89% of his end product in the Premier League is from set pieces alone. Uh, so yeah, ridiculous. Um, but uh, I, So I wouldn't say that that's a player that I'd be looking at. I mean, maybe if it does get to the point where um, you know, penalties have been handed out like candy, then perhaps I'd be looking at it. But definitely look at it like a bonus, I think, and definitely you know, 
it should be a huge plus, especially if we do get the environment like Stag has mentioned, as Ben mentioned right at the top, that penalties become a bit more kind of prevalent and a bigger kind of uh, factor in this year's Premier League. I guess that leads to the final question and uh, the title of this uh, kind of pod, and I've already given my answer in some respects. How important do we think penalties are in FPL? For me, I think it's a fact of life, as I've mentioned, it's a nice bonus to the players. With the degree of importance attached to a player having them compared to the nature of a team they play for and the type of player they are. Do I want the Milivojevic? Probably not. Do I want a Bruno? Do I want a Vardy? Yeah, a definite consideration, of course. Yeah, it's a bit random as well, but it's nothing we should ever diminish. It's pure luck. You've got to put yourself in a position to score and get those points in the first place, as Nick has, and I guess we have with Salah this game week. What do you guys reckon? How important are penalties in FPL? I think I'll, I'll try and be quite succinct because I think we've we've addressed most of it, but what, I w- what I'll probably boil it down to for me is this. When it's an elite player, you're a Bamiyang's, your Salah's, your Mane's, when you're trying to compare between those and pick one of them, penalties are a bonus for Bruno as well. It's a bonus. When it's a penalty taker who's quite cheap at a smaller club, Leighton Baines of years ago, Milivojevic of a few seasons ago, I think it can be a decisive factor then when a player is as cheap as they are. If Jorginho turned out to be nailed on, don't think it's going to be, at 5.0, having a penalty taker from a team like Chelsea, that's a pretty good reason to have him in, in and of itself. But as I say, for the elite players, the ones that we're mostly talking about in this podcast, week in, week out, it's just a bonus. Yeah, I think you see a lot of correlation between the penalty taker at a club and and the talisman at the club. And certainly when I'm looking at who I'm picking in my FPL team, I look at, you know, who's who's on penalties and it is something I factor in. And, And I do the same as well for set pieces and corners and stuff like that. It's something that is factored into my approach. It's not the do all and the end all of who I pick in my FPL team. But if I'm looking at someone like between Salah and Mane, then, then penalties is something that definitely sways me towards picking Salah over Mane, ultimately. Yep, I think that makes sense. So we're all in agreement, which I know isn't what normally happens, but there we go. Hopefully that was a nice rounded uh, discussion, at least, on the importance of penalties in the fantasy football. Right, let's take a break there and move on to the mini league update and the Q&A after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and um, normally we do the Who Got the Assist mini league. Um, we're not going to give a full update this week, but we can see that I think there's about 12 or 13 people around sort of the 100, um, 103, 104 mark. Um, some really high scores there. A lot of guys captain Salah and, and did really well. So well done to all the guys who are top of the mini league for this game week. We'll probably continue on with normal updates as of next week. Uh, but we'll move on swiftly to the correspondence section. So, uh, Stag, you've had um, some interesting correspondence from Adam Pritchard. And um, I think you're going to be giving a highly edited um, <laughs> a repeat of what, what he sent us via email. Yeah, it's, a, it's a slightly edited. But maybe first of all, so we have some, con- some confusion, folks, about what this correspondence slot actually is. This is not the quick fire Q&A section. This is so much more than that. This is your chance to really give your opinion, to slap down whatever we might have said on a previous pod, or to start up a discussion on something that's close to your heart. So like, please do get in touch and make the most of it before Tom and Nick call the segment because it's causing so much confusion. <laughs> yeah, so, so, yes. qu- questions on speed. Questions 2.0. It's deep questions with us three. Yeah, um, r- real talk, but your talk. <laughs> I don't know. Talk to priests in your area. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. Talk, talk to priests you want to get to know. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, anyway, someone who has got the idea of what this segment is, is, as you said, it's the Arsenal fan, it's friend of the pod, it's the pun maker extraordinaire, and all-around good guy, Adam P., who's at 35who on Twitter. That's all one word, and those are all words as well for the digits. Anyway, he says, Dear any old Tom, Nick and Staggy, I'm sure, like me, you've been watching Amazon's ironically named All or Nothing series, documenting Tottenham's 2019-2020 season. At the time of writing, I've watched the first five episodes and found them worryingly endearing towards some of the players, Eric Dyer, Danny Rose, and Jaffa Tenganga in particular. Thankfully, Mourinho is still a prized, as the kids say, a prized C. Daniel Levy is still up his own arse. And Harry Kane's team's talks are as inspiring as a failed political campaign speech. Determined to be as cynical as possible, this has all had me thinking of a couple of questions. Number one, which Premier League player do you think would give the least inspiring halftime team talk? And number two, which three Premier League players would you most like to have lunch with in a club canteen? Thanks and apologies for reading this and for all the hard work that goes into the pod. Hugs and kisses, Adam. Oh, thanks, Adam. That's a, a very nice, very nice indeed. Um, 
So, I guess in terms of these, I mean, the Harry Kane's team talks are just hilarious. The man is no orator, is he? Like, absolutely not. If anyone does have a Come chance... Come on, guys. To... We can effing do it. Go! <laughs> if anyone does have a chance, just, just watch it. It's so funny. Um, I mean, bless him. He's trying really hard, but he's just not an Obama-esque articulator, orator, inspiring individual. He just is not, um, in terms of the words. If you watch uh, All or Nothing Brazil, in contrast... Danny Alves is absolutely fantastic. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very much night and day in, the, in regards to those two. In terms of the questions, anyway, who would I not like to give a halftime tea talk? It just reminds me of like on, on Football Manager. I always put the most ridiculous person as being the person who's doing the press conferences. So I always have like the um, the the German first team coach doesn't speak English being the the guy who does the press conferences for me. It's something that's hilarious. Um, and I think for, in terms of giving an inspiring halftime tea talk, team talk, I think Danny Rose uh, from watching that would be fantastic. Just in, for giving the worst halftime team talk ever. I don't even want to be here. So I don't really care what you do. It would kind of be what he'd do, say. Is that it? Milan on the phone? <laughs> yeah. Is it, what you about? Sorry, sorry, Genoa? Sorry, sorry, lads. Genoa? Oh, 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 yeah. Just go out there and do something, lads. Um, and the three players to have dinner with in the canteen. Um, I kind of thought, well, who's going to make me cry if I sit down and eat with them? Who's going to laugh at me relentlessly? Who's going to make me you know, feel really small? And I thought of Premier League houses. And as a result, Neil Morpay, Ashley Barnes and Jamie Vardy. If I saw those three at a table, I'd walk away, frankly. Those would be the three that I would, would not want to sit with uh, for my uh, for my meal in the canteen. I'd love to see if I could hold my own against such exalted company in that uh, in that canteen. So, uh, yeah, it would be, it'd be a challenge at least. So I think those three would be the ones that I'd go with. But, yeah, there you go. What about you guys? Um, well, so I think to talk, take, taking the mick out of um, documentaries um, on football clubs, I think the Manchester City one was pretty funny, wasn't it? When um, when Fabian Delph gave his his rants, just just about the basics of the game, isn't it? You see, you see sort of ten hours of of Pep and all his skillful, um, you know, breakdowns and uh, team talks, and then you just get uh, Fabian Delph like ranting away, saying it's all about the basics of the game. You've forgotten the basics of the game, and uh, I don't I don't know if many of the his teammates found that particularly inspiring. But I, I certainly found that very entertaining. Um, in regards to, I guess, Premier League clubs that I least like to, um, like to hang around with, probably most of the Arsenal guys. So probably likes like Jack Wilshere, um, Gwen Doozy. I'd probably throw Mitrovic in there as well, just because I've got some sort of random hatred of that guy, um, especially after he blanked me this game week. So I've added him to the, uh, the gang of three as well. Uh, uninspiring team talk who would give the least inspiring halftime team talk I think Kepa given his current situation in that Chelsea team I would just love to see him trying to uh, get the lads G'd up and just all of them looking at him just not believing in him that that would be quite an image it's As a long for, shot snag yeah it's, it's a long shot and then um, he'll probably drop the long shot too and in terms of players that I'd like to have lunch with I'm going to bring a Premier League player past and hopefully future into this as well in having Patrick Bamford, Declan Rice and James McLean in this purely because I want to see the interaction between Bamford, eligible to play for Ireland but hasn't decided to yet, Declan Rice, uh, three times capped Ireland international and international friendlies and James McLean who uh, wouldn't take too kindly to either of their um, one leaving the Ireland fold and one not deciding to play for Ireland. So I'd love to just play off the three of them for uh, a few hours. And honestly, you could probably say it would be an awful lunch too. Right, uh, let's move on to the Q&A before we get into that. Uh, let's start off with Andy Penman's question. Um, he asks, in terms of the first week, one week wonder, um, how much can we really take from one week's worth of information? And Nick and I were just saying in the break, actually, that this is what we did last year. So we looked at the, every game we won in the past and uh, thought about how that would kind of translate into kind of what we learned from this first uh, game week. That was a good overview question, of course, in terms of how we're going to answer the rest of the questions. So, one week. Do you guys think we can take anything from it? How important is it? Do we need lots of data? What's going on? Nicholas? I mean, in the opening week of the season, we always have limited data to work from, don't we? So, we don't tend to necessarily read too much into the statistics, for instance. You know, we see Bamford top of the... Uh, market forces this week but we, we don't expect him necessarily to be scoring week in week out for instance you know 
Um, same with some of the other guys, like Dominic Calvert-Lewin or, or other characters like that. But, you know, I think there's certainly early indications that you look at and you wonder, is this going to be a trend for the season? Is this something new? Um, one example of worrying trends perhaps that have emerged over the course of this um, game week is Liverpool defending very poorly might have um, limited us a little bit in terms of, you know, or knocked our confidence perhaps um, in regards to trusting the Liverpool defence just based on the one game week. Um, even though it's one, it's only one game's worth of data, it is still quite concerning to see how poor they were defensively. Um, other other statistics, you know, like the Spurs as well, and they looked very, very poor and that is concerning for many a Spurs fan like myself and many an FPL manager who has a Spurs asset in their team. But otherwise, we also have our inher- some of our inherent biases that we had pre-season have been vindicated to a certain extent, and we feel more confident in regards to. And examples of these are the likes of Fulham being rubbish or the likes of West Ham being rubbish. You know, we, we feel more confident about the likes of, you know, I think probably captaining or bamming against West Ham or, or targeting teams like Fulham. Certainly from one week's worth of data, we... we um, we're certainly looking at that and thinking, actually, actually, I, I, I believe this in the preseason, and I'm still feeling confident about this particular um, thought process. So I think I'm going to be overlapping you like Matt Doherty a little bit here, but it's a, it's a double-edged sword when it comes to week one data. You can't extrapolate on every statistic, but because, of course, the story of every game is different. Uh, you come across different systems, different opponents, you have different teammates around you, you get into different positions. So, okay. It's somewhat limited. But at the same time, take something like Arsenal recording their lowest expected goals conceded away from home in five years. It probably doesn't tell us that every issue in Arsenal's defence is solved, but it probably does tell us, as Nick noted, that Fulham have a pretty steep mountain to climb if they want to survive in the Premier League and really need to get their attack together and get Mitrovic fit. So what I do think you can pay attention to in week one isn't something that we tend to look at in underlying data, but it's stuff like positioning, touch maps. Was a player getting in unusually threatening positions? Matt Doherty, for example, he was getting forward well. He had Spurs' best chance. The team are clearly going to struggle to score, but at the same time, Matt Doherty looks well-placed to get five goals and five assists, let's say 10 attacking returns in the season and 10 clean sheets, perhaps, considering uh, if he starts consistently, considering that Spurs team is effectively set up to not concede and nothing else. Likewise, in the same game, Richarlison, he looks quite good to me. One bad miss, but getting in plenty of good positions. He had the most shots of any Everton player. He was in loads of decent positions. He's linking up really well with James Rodriguez. And only Willian had a higher XG without scoring this week. You could also say that as a negative thing, but leave me at it. Contrast that with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Obviously, he's now going to be a popular pick, but he had just two attempts. Like He's managed to score, so you're going to be talking about him. And a lot of people will call the screen grab of when Richarlison blazed rounding the keeper and blazed over the bar and, and Calvert-Lewin was there ready for a tap-in if he passed it. The fact of the matter is, Richarlison is still pretty selfish. Dominic Calvert-Lewin still isn't that involved. And he had a good nod for his goal, but at the same time, He's probably not the better FPL pick long-term versus Richarlison. Um, and maybe in the, in the overall scheme of things, you could say it's pretty promising for Everton going into game week two against West Brom, who were especially poor in the second half against Leicester, although they conceded twice from penalties. Overall, they weren't that good. They were pretty uninspiring, and you would expect Everton to dominate them like they did Spurs with a fairly defensive, fairly poor midfield team. West Brom and Spurs are pretty much the same in that regard. Hold on, are you espousing Richarlison propaganda? Did I hear whoa. that right? Whoa, did you whoa, hate whoa, him? Whoa. Did he make you feel sick last season? New, new season, new me. New season, new me. Fair enough, fair enough. I'm right behind it as a Richardson owner. I'm biased Richardson owner. No, he did exactly as I said at the very top what I wanted him to do. And uh, yeah, I, I think in terms of um, uh, what one week's worth of information can do, very much delineates between uh, players that we know a little bit about and players we don't know anything about. So a player like Matt D, um, yep, I completely understand what Stag's, where Stag's coming from. You know, he's getting in the right positions. He's replicating the kinds of patterns of behaviour that we did see when he was at Wolves. It's just a case of getting that end product in. Um, a player like Richarlison, um, who I owns, he's going to take a lot of shots. That's definitely true. Um, and it's just a case of hoping that that gets converted. But wherever shots coming from, they're coming from balls fed by the man who made the most key passes this game week, James Rodriguez. Um, And I think he's a very good example of the kind of thing that we do take from the first week, which is an eye test view or at least an eye test understanding of how well these players do, sometimes mixed with stats. Uh, Of of Richarlison's seven shots, five of them came from passes by James Rodriguez. I think one of them is a BCC as well, incredibly. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, What's really cool as well is that it helps you kind of think, well, you know, some of these players like Hammers, who did 
looked very promising. Timo Werner tonight looked very promising, I felt. The newly promoted players, you know, the likes of Harrison, I think he was very promising. Click was very promising as well for Leeds. And I'm very glad that I've got Luke Ayling in my squad. I think that he was bombing forward to get involved with the attacks. And at one point, was in a central position. Uh, so I'm very happy with him. Um, but one thing that perhaps kind of helps you do is to just kind of hone what maybe hasn't worked for you as well. So, I mean, a lot of people do look at it and kind of say, right, I'm not going to, you know, I saw FPL General, at least he said, you know, no Chelsea players, and I'm going to wait and see what happens. Some of us do like to take a pump, remembering the you know, the most Salah example of the past, even though, yeah, he was known to the Premier League, but come on, you know, he only a handful of appearances for Chelsea. Um, so this game week, for example, I, I owned um, Kai Havertz because I bought him, I thought he was very good in the Bundesliga when I watched him for several games about Leverkusen and, and Watching him for Chelsea, I just don't think he's up to speed yet. Um, so I think that he is now a little bit on the chopping block. We'll talk about that for a question later on. Um, and that's kind of what game one can be quite good for, which is kind of just seeing how everyone kind of seems to be. Of, of course, that could be kind of a false positive in some ways. You could be kind of thinking, oh, you know, God, you know, this player looks terrible. Then come game week two, three and four, they, they really take off or vice versa. Um, but I mean, it's really about impressions rather than facts. Um so much in game week one and really it's about you know with the established players we know those players will have a lot more patience in uh, with the players who are a bit newer to the Premier League maybe we are able to kind of take an early barometer perhaps of what they're likely to do and in the case of Kai Havertz with me for example uh, maybe I may be thinking oh maybe I've erred there and maybe I need to correct that cool all right let's move on to this question then and it's KDB or Sterling players who we've completely forgotten existed because they didn't appear in the first game week. I'd say this is the only time we'll have this question this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. We're going to have this one. We're going to have how important are penalties in FPL uh, from the listeners and things like Bruno, that. Bruno, Rashford or Martial. Yeah, that's going to happen a lot. But anyway, KDB or Sterling? Friend of the pod, Karim Tizer, has asked us about KDB and Sterling. He notes that KDB has an imminent price rise during the week and he asks, would you find a way to get him in for you know, 0.1 more than his current price. So you've got to, you have like 0.4 million in the, in the bank or something like that. Or would you be happy to wait and see and just grab Sterling uh, next week? And that kind of 0.5, of course, at the moment, as we said on the Unwritten Rules pod, can be a bit like 0.1 at the moment because of how things kind of change and um, how limited a lot of the price rises and falls are going to be. So are we going to be trying to jump on KDB is KDB our first priority he does have penalties we didn't mention that too much earlier on um, or are we going to be happy with Sterling at 0.5 million and 0.5 million assuming the KDB rises first um, which one would you pick Nick so before um, the fixtures were announced um, when the website first launched and when we saw the pricing I was actually um, quite heavily shipping Sterling over De Bruyne um, and then I kind of like as as kind of the week kind of went on, I kind of ended up like leaning more towards the De Bruyne camp, and that was kind of more. It was more to do with ownership fears actually, just because I saw how highly owned um, De Bruyne was looking in the game compared to Sterling. But what I what I liked about Sterling was the, his um, explosive nature and his um, ex- um, his um, his uh, ceiling, which I think is a lot higher than De Bruyne because Sterling kind of has a bit of a hat-trick in him and, and stuff like that. And he's, he's um, an excellent FPL asset. And I, I think actually, like, taking ownership out of the equation, which which is out of the equation, because uh, neither of them are going to be highly owned next week, um, just because of the fact they didn't have a game in game week one. I'd, I'd be quite tempted um, to take a hit if you had to if you were bringing either one of those guys in and you had the money and i'm very jealous of the fact that you do have the money to to bring either one of those guys in um i'd i'd be um pro- i'd perhaps be tempted by uh, the sterling pumps and i just think that perhaps he's got um more of a higher seeding and um more of an explosive uh, differential nature as we saw in the market forces de bruyne is going to rise sterling isn't necessarily going to and if you know, sterling falls then you could have a huge return there so I, I've been thinking about this and I, I think what the question really boils down to from Karam is it's much more so, it's not really about which city player you want and it's much more about do you make an early transfer or not? And that's almost how I read this. And the fact of the matter is with League Cup and Europa League happening this week, um, I, I wouldn't be making a transfer until Thursday if I can avoid it. And if that precludes me from getting one of KDB or Sterling if I was in that position, maybe so be it. Um, 
the fact of the matter is as well is that Wolves, they looked quite good against um, Sheffield United. And although Sheffield United did spurn chances that you'd expect City to finish at the same time, I'm not thinking it's like the end of the world if I don't have one of those two in my team next week. Whereas I would think that, you know, further down the line. Um, but as well, I also presume the player that you're selling here, it's probably Mane or something. It's an elite midfielder anyway, or else you're taking hits. Either way, I'd, I'd probably give them a chance. Like They're a pretty good player, whoever it is that you're trying to sell. But okay, then focusing on the actual question itself, I'd probably just go for KDB. Uh, I just think he's just that much better. Fair enough. Um, I... I said in the preseason that maybe KDB had had one of those Anas Mirabiluses and maybe he had his Yaya Torre year. Who knows? I mean, he does have those penalties and he does have the assists, does have the goals and does have the bonus potential. Um, but I guess I'd be looking at Sterling. Um, I think that I'd be very interested in him, actually. Um, him and Salah being my two premiums probably is where I'm going at the moment, just because goals over assists... Uh, I know it's a bit it's a bit strange, but I think like kind of everyone's gonna be going on KDB. I think by game week three there's gonna be such huge ownership for KDB already, just out of last year and just out of kind of name recognition. Sterling did very, very well in the restart, don't forget. But I I just think that Sterling will be um a really uh, one of those characters I think who is going to be captainable and really get you those explosive returns. And the same last season, obviously last season during kind of before the lockdown, he was an absolute pain in the ass to own. Don't get me wrong. Um but during the restart, I think he definitely kind of resurged as being Mantis's main threat. And I think that going forward as well, um, I'd be hoping for him to build on that form. I might be wrong. I might end up having to get KDB in. Um but in the mean in kind of the in the medium term, the short term at least, I think I'll be buying Sterling. But let, let's see when we get to game week three. Um, um, see if I even want to be selling Aubameyang at that point. But there's only so long I think we can be able to go without Man City, given the volume of goals um, from that team. Yeah, one thing to throw in maybe about Sterling, just to add, he only got six assists last season, and that followed a 15 and a 17 um, assist seasons the years before that. Like, the fact of the matter is that, you know, in, in, whilst he did score 20 goals, the most in his career, there is that whole other side to his game that he probably hasn't utilised where there's, I don't know, there's probably 30 points worth of just left behind there in terms of assists, presumably because of the likes of Gabriel Jesus or just basically not having Aguero in the side for quite a lot of the season, that you'd think that he would be able to add to his assist tally. And his, like, his goal scoring was effectively all happened in eight weeks at the start and the end of the season. You take those out and there's this huge barren period that you think he would fill in again. So the arguments for Sterling are quite big and I think his ceiling is higher than De Bruyne. And I think you're really quite on the button with the fact, the idea that maybe De Bruyne did have his Yaya Torre year and the fact that Sterling does have more to him. You're, you've, I've swayed myself in a very short amount of time, basically. Right, so um, we're going to move on to uh, Liverpool now. And Tony D asked us a question if the Leeds match has changed our view on Trent and the Liverpool defence. Uh, relatedly, Sherlock Shadman also asked us um, if what are we considering to do with Manny. I'm, I'm actually going to let you guys answer that one first and then, then I'm going to talk about what I'm thinking about doing. Right, I'll, I'll, jump, I'll jump on first. So before your big reveal, Nick. Okay, so the fact of the matter is, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold, he looked pretty unfit, a bit of a worry, of of course, but at the same time, he still created plenty of chances. Those will improve as the time goes on. His his balls were a bit off, his energy was down. That'll come. I'm okay with that. He was outshone by Robbo on the day in underlying stats, in points, etc. That happened in Project Restart too, and you could start to say, hmm, is there a trend? Maybe there is, but I'm not too concerned just yet. Um, Liverpool's XG from open play was, of course, much worse in the restart than it was in the earlier 29 weeks of the season. It went up from 0.76 goals, uh, expected goals conceded from open play per game to 0.91 expected goals conceded from open play per game. That's 19% higher for those who want that. And they only got three clean sheets in those nine games as well. So pretty big difference. The Leeds game. Leeds did well. They had long spells in possession. They were unfortunate not to take something from the game on the day as it played out. And of course, Liverpool did have penalties and we've talked enough about that. But at the end of the day, Leeds had six shots, three of them went on target and three of those went into the net. Very few teams would have that sort of good fortune. No matter how you put it, that is quite fortunate. And I don't want to take away anything from Leeds' performance, but Liverpool weren't that bad defensively and a few uncharacteristic errors led to Leeds oh, finding their way into that game, definitely. which I think will be ironed out quite quickly. 
of that Van Dyke uh, gift uh, for Paddy B is high in mind there. But I'd echo kind of what you said there, Anthony. Um, I think the Liverpool defence as well, like, I mean, TAA obviously did nothing, but Robertson got an assist, Van Dyke got a goal. Like, that in itself highlights what you'd expect from Liverpool defence. If there's no clean sheets, you've always got that threat of an attacking return. Um, Obviously, Robertson's been doing a bit, a little bit better than TAA uh, had been throughout the restart. TAA wasn't as fit, I don't think, uh, but he's got enough credit in the bank, as it were, uh, to, to give him time. Um, and I'd probably be saying the same uh, with Mane. Um, and I think that um, that... I don't know. I mean, it's obviously a bit unlucky this week, and it's obviously a bit annoying if you own Mane and Salah got all the plaudits, but at the end of the day, you've got to give it love. I think with these guys... Give it another week, like we've seen so many times in the past that if it's Salah, if it's Salah's turn one week, it's Marnay's the next. Nick's dubbed this the red roulette in the past, and it's completely true. Um, and it could be, you know, ne- next week, Chelsea, there's lots of, there's a dearth of chances, and you need the guy who scores the low XG chance. That is, that is Marnay. Um, so it could be that. Um, I mean, there's one more question here as well. Um, it was Edwin Ambrose who says, "Is Dean is Luca Dean in an idea, or is it too early?" And I think that that might apply to a member of the podcast team here. Uh, Nick, what are you thinking of doing here? So, so yeah, I am planning something slightly controversial and slightly out of character, perhaps considering um, everything I've said <laughs> in the preseason. So. Just to give us some context, um, quite close to the deadline, I wasn't my team. I lost, I kind of lost my nerve with Saka and put in Suchek and ended up also doing Doherty to Van, Virgil van Dijk, um, which ended up just being a net gain of one point because Saka didn't play for the men, Mitchell coming off the bench. But that, besides the point, I now have a scenario where I've got double Liverpool defence, both Virgil and Trent. And I'm looking at their upcoming games and I'm not seeing, you know, double, double clean sheets there because they've got... Chelsea and they've got Arsenal and what I do know is um, Chelsea aren't particularly great defensively, Arsenal aren't particularly great defensively. I can I can see Virgil threatening again in that box. He, he had a couple of chances in that last game. Um, one of them he scored, the other was close and just missed. Um, what I also saw is that Trent seemed to be giving up a little bit of his responsibility on those set pieces to Robertson. Even Robertson took a couple of the corners. Oh, he took at least one corner on the right-hand side as well and um, took a free kick from distance, which ended up in an assist. Um, and that was, my, that was my concern with Trent. He did, did definitely seemed a little bit off the boil. And because of that, I'm actually considering selling him. Um, for the creator in chief, Luca Dean, that you, that you mentioned. This is outrageous, perhaps, but you know, clean sheets, <laughs> I've got that covered with Virgil van Dyke. Um, I can bring in, you know, another, I'm, I'm always found with a defender that creates chances, and Luca Dean's stats were excellent last season for creating chances, weren't they? They were only second to Trent. He's 1.5 million cheaper, he has better fixtures than Trent, with West Brom, Crystal Palace, and Brighton up next. So I've got 1.5 million to spend. I've still got my Liverpool defender in Virgil van Dijk. And we talk about, oh, Trent is high risk, everyone owns or whatever. But he's only in two seasons of data, he's only outscored Virgil by nine points. So I feel like the one million saving there is, is viable as well. And certainly Virgil van Dijk, he's so dangerous in the air. Any goal he gets is, is the equivalent of two um, TAA assists, uh, just to add to that point. Thursday, the 26th of December, 2019. 24-pointer in this Leicester, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. Could get these in my face, this one, but um, I'm tempted. I'm not going to lie. And yeah, at least I've got some coverage there for the clean sheet element of the 24 points, which would be six of them. <laughs> uh, sounds very tasty. And I think it... Um... It definitely feeds into the final question this week, which is strats intact. FPL PTSD asks us, are we still sticking to our strategies? And I think that's actually quite an interesting one. Because he says, is anyone wavering? Well, Nick certainly seems to be to some extent. I don't think I'm wavering here because I think my, my strategy was strong game week one. That worked out all right. And maximum yeah. flexibility to make changes. <laughs> my, my, my strategy what was happens. to do well. <laughs> my strategy was just to show up. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, I'm definitely tapping my head here and saying you can't follow a strategy if you don't have a strategy. Think of that meme. Yeah. Okay, that's a sync from both of you. Uh, my initial strategy was to get to game week three and then reassess. 
I know it was just so deep. All of our strategies were so deeply thought out, weren't they? Exactly. We weren't. Well, well like I, there have been other years, and we sort of talked about this last week, so I don't want to bore people to death. Where I've had like this spreadsheet with ten weeks. I'm like, I'm gonna move this guy here, and then they're playing yeah. the promoted team there, and then, and it's all like blows up. Yeah, and we small. all know it's rubbish. I mean, have yeah. we seen the words defensive rotation cited anywhere this week? Absolutely not, because it's already gone out the window, hasn't it? Let's be fair. Um, but I mean, in terms of strategies, um, I did say I'm going to try to get to game week three, two or three transfers and reassess. Kaya Verts this evening uh, was not really what I want for an 8.5 million. James Rodriguez probably was what I'm looking for uh, from a player in that price bracket. And the next three for Everton are pretty good. Uh, they've got West Brom, Crystal Palace, and Brighton. Ooh, oh, I'm, I might. I, I don't know if I'm going to, be able to resist that. I don't know if I'm going to, be able to resist it. So it looks like these two didn't have a strategy in the first place. So pff, who knows if they're sticking or not? They'll claim if it suits them, they're sticking to it. If 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 it doesn't suit them, they'll just be like, well, I didn't have a strategy anyway. And then um, I'm being open and honest about the fact that maybe I may change my strategy because in the past doing WGCA I've kind of gone oh, I've got to stick to it I've said it I'm going to do it and it's really screwed me up so this year meh who cares right let's move on to transfers and captains and I've already mentioned mine so I'm going to kind of go on ahead a little bit more um Langer Schlanger asked me am I playing Reese James as a final sort of question for this week's pod I don't know yet is the answer because I didn't plan to be playing him um I planned to have him on the bench because I I had Luke alien in weight uh, on the bench to come on uh, Fulham at home so my back line is uh, Trent who Nick's going to be selling so I'm looking forward to those differential points uh, Ailing and Justin at the back um, do I want Reese James oh but he did look very good it's good to own him but I think I'm probably yeah, I'm going to bench him but I think the big thing I'll be doing is maybe selling Havertz and maybe bringing in James Rodriguez I don't know yet um, but that is kind of what I'm planning on doing. I think I, I'm finding it very hard to resist that. And I, just looking at Kai, how he played today, I'm sure Lampard's not going to play him on the wing again because he was so ineffective, so peripheral. Um, but he just smacked of the player who's just come into grips with the new league a lot more than Werner did. And I think it might be the case just correcting that mistake. I think Kai may be very, very good going forward. He may even punish me against Liverpool. But based on what I've seen so far, I may be kind of thinking, yeah, you know what? We're not quite time for him yet. Maybe I'll go back to him later on in the year. But for now, I'm very much considering putting Hamas Rodriguez in. And Aubameyang captain. What do you guys think? Um, so for me, I guess whilst not having a strategy, I was thinking that I had Danny Ings in my side and he was probably the one who was going to go. I kept 0.5 in the bank that would allow me to go up to Tony Marshall or down to Richarlison, depending on what I felt like doing. And I think it'll be one of those two moves is what I'll do this week and just fits my team shape quite nicely. It does mean that going into this week, I'm going to be playing a 5-2-3, which sounds kind of daft, but I have pretty good fixtures across my back five and Ramsdale is there too. So I'm happy enough to go through with that. Oh, the hourglass. Yep. Oh, Ramsdale, interesting. Um, so, yeah, I'm going for Aubameyang captain as well. Um, I, think, I think, obviously, he's the main man, isn't he? West Ham at home. West Ham were pretty terrible in the opening game. He's definitely getting the armband again. So, he's the captain for me. As I said, my transfer, I am tempted to do Trent for uh, Luca Dean. Yeah, jumping on that same Everton bandwagon as Tom. Um, only slightly different format. Uh, certainly, can't sell the likes of Salah. He's, he's too good for me. And I'm I'm playing. I also have Luke Eiling actually, so he's coming into the starting eleven. And um, I'm kicking out Thomas Suchek, who's going to be my my first sub there. Cool. So we were who got the assist. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Um, if you're new listener and enjoyed the pod this week, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and you'll have us in your ears all season long. And if you haven't joined the mini league, the code is CPSULF. And if you've enjoyed listening to this pod, please do leave a rating. It helps us with algorithms and all that jazz and getting this into more people's ears. We would really appreciate that. Also, if you have correspondence for the correspondence section, who got the assist at gmail.com, please, please email because the guys will call it. Please. <laughs> um, we are back next week with our special guest, Late Riser. Uh, very exciting to have him on the pod.
Yeah, absolutely. We'll be chasing upsides with him and uh, catching up with him. And uh, I guess next week will be the time when a lot of wild cards are going to be played game week three. So yeah, absolutely fantastic. And uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to that pop with Late Riser. Uh, but in the meantime, I hope to assist you think about penalties in FPL going forward. Good luck in game week two and speak to you next week. Goodbye. Slon. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.